what is your attitude towards Christmas? All right, now I realize that's kind of a loaded question, but, and there's, there's a variety. Some of you are thinking, Christmas, heard such is coming, haven't had much time to think about it yet. Okay, well, you have, I, I believe, counting today, there's 12 shopping days till Christmas. So for some of you, that doesn't matter at all because you don't have money to buy gifts, so uh, you've got plenty of time to write cards, I guess. Um, but, you know, this time of year, sometimes it's hard to think about that. But for some of you, you live for this time of year. But why? Is it the New Testament meaning of Christmas? Is it, you know, the uh, cultural and seasonal things? I, do, I personally do not feel shorted at all if there's nothing white on the ground for Christmas. Okay, I, that does not bother me in the least. In fact, the Lord blessed me with a, you know, a frozen free Christmas. I will thank him for that. Okay, in my household, I'm in the minority on that opinion. It's okay, they'll find out when we get to heaven, there's not going to be snow there. So... Um, but, you know, sometimes you think about it in terms of those things. You, we sometimes think about it in terms of foods. There's probably special treats that mom, grandma, you know, whoever make around the holidays time, special dinners, getting together with family. But, but you know, from going from a, a, a fast-paced semester to final exams to, wow, okay, I've got one week till Christmas now to figure this out. It's very easy to just kind of get in a routine, right? Or just to survive. What I want to look at this morning is some responses to the first Christmas from the New Testament. Responses, and then compare that to our attitudes or responses. Okay, now, when I talk about, you know, do you like Christmas or do you dislike Christmas, most of the answers are probably geared towards our uh, cultural traditions, right? You like the, the lights and the trees and the decorations or the gatherings or those kinds of things. Uh, if it were up to me at our house, the Christmas tree would go up, you know, probably about the 22nd of December and come down on the 26th. I'm just not, it's not that big a deal to me. You say, well, why put it up then? Fair point. Okay, let's just go with that. Um, again, uh, I have a wife, I have children, therefore it goes up at the latest the day after Thanksgiving and earlier if they can swing it. Um, but a lot of times when we talk about Christmas, we think about it culturally. But Christmas should, for us as believers, have a far greater significance, right? It should have a spiritual significance, and if I could take it a step further, it should have a spiritual impact on us. Well, I'm going to ask you to uh, look at two places uh, in the Scriptures today. I'm going to ask you to find uh, Matthew chapter 1. And put a marker there, and then we'll start in Luke chapter 1. We're going to be back and forth between these two familiar Christmas passages here. We're going to be looking at Luke 1 and 2, Matthew 1 and 2. I'm not going to try to read the entire uh, narrative. I trust that that is familiar to you. But I just want to pick out some different folks that were involved in the first Christmas. Look at their responses and the lessons that we can learn from that. All right, let's pray before we go any further. Thank you, Lord, for your word. pray that this time together in chapel today would be beneficial. I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to our hearts, that you'd stir us, motivate us, and uh, help us to have a right response to the Christmas season. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Uh, we're going to start in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse number 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Now, if I could just stop here for a second. A lot of you would probably enjoy it if somebody spoke to you that way. What was Mary's response? Verse 29, when she saw him, she was troubled. Now, in fairness, um, we're not looking at an angel that appeared out of nowhere. Okay? But... In many cases, when an angel appeared, it was bad news or judgment. Uh, Verse 29, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. And he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? We see here the first response uh, in Luke chapter 1. We see a response of worry. (coughs) Worry. Now, I'm going to say this is a combined response. I think along with this, uh, with Mary's response here, I don't think it was a a lack of... um, Faith as much as it was a lack of understanding. She said, uh, how is this supposed to work? I don't know a man. She did not understand what God was getting ready to do. But if you compare this with Matthew chapter 1, you definitely have worry on the part of Joseph. Verse number 18 of Matthew chapter 1. Now when the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man, And not willing to make her a public example was minded to put her away privily or quietly, privately. What are people going to say? What is my family going to say when they find out? What in the world is going to go on? Yeah, I would say there was initially there was some concern. Now, I know for you, the Christmas season never brings worry or concern, right? Very carefree time of the year, low key, low pressure. Calmness, not a lot of activities, right? Obviously, everything I've said is pretty much the opposite of the way the Christmas season very often works. But we can get worried and troubled. In um, Luke chapter 10, the Bible says that Jesus told Martha she was careful and troubled about many things. It's the idea of your mind being constantly in motion. That might sound like final exams week, huh? That might sound like, you know, end of the semester projects and so forth. But you see here, Joseph and Mary, Joseph was like, oh, I got a problem. Now, he said he wanted to put her away privately and not make her a public example. According to the law of Moses, he could have made, had a public trial and had her brought out in front of everybody and basically made an example out of her of here's what you don't do. But he did not want to do that. He uh, was trying to figure out what is the right response in this situation. But the initial response was, "Uh uh-oh, I got a problem. You know, there's many times when we think, "Uh uh-oh, I got a problem because we don't understand what God's doing. God is beginning to work on our behalf and a lot of times at the start of that, that that looks a lot like problem. Because very often, we don't seek for God's deliverance or God's help 
if we don't have a problem, right? So very often what we think, "Uh uh-oh, the world's caving in on me, everything is upside down, is God's beginning to work and we don't see the rest of the picture yet. Joseph and Mary here at the beginning, the very beginning of the story, didn't have any idea what was going on. Of course, in um, verse number 20 of Matthew chapter 1, God filled him in. While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." Now, do you think that it took a little bit of courage on the part of Joseph to follow through at this point? You, ha- you know there had to be friends, family members, enemies that started to talk, right? No, that's just a, a 21st century phenomenon where people talk. Or see, now, now because there's social media, people talk about other people, but it didn't always happen that way, right? <laughs> Got news for you. That's been around as long as man- mankind has had a tongue and a sin nature. People would begin to talk, and they would talk about um, they would talk about Mary and Joseph, and they would just assume that it was his child. In fact, later on, that was said, "Isn't this the son of Joseph?" It was assumed that it was his child. He had to be willing to take on uh, that or if I, that blame, if I could say it, or if I could say it this way, he had to be willing to be misunderstood. You know, if you're going to serve the Lord, if you're going to witness for the Lord, if you're going to do what God leads you to do. Somewhere along the way, you're going to have to be willing to be misunderstood. You know what's right. You know what the Word of God says. You know what God is doing. And not everybody understands it all of the time. Joseph here had to be a man of character to be willing to take on that responsibility. Obviously, Joseph and Mary had to be people of character for God to entrust them with the raising of Jesus. But you see here a response of initially of worry on the part of Joseph and maybe on the part of Mary. What are people going to say? How's this going to work? Um, you know, is, well, how's Joseph going to respond? There was no texting, DMing. You know, how is, how's Joseph going to find out? What was the Jewish custom? The, after the engagement, the groom would go back to his father's house and would prepare a place and then eventually he would come and get the bride, the procession would go back to the father's house, the wedding would be held there, and the feast and everything. But she didn't necessarily have a way to uh, contact Joseph about this. How's he going to respond? They had to be willing to trust God, even if it meant being misunderstood. So now there's a waiting period, and then it's time for the baby to come. You understand that story. Let's go back to uh, Luke chapter 2. Um, Luke chapter 2, God used the um, Roman version of the IRS, I guess, to get Joseph and Mary where they needed to be. You know the declaration that to all the world should be taxed, and that is what brought Mary and Joseph back to the hometown of their ancestry, to Bethlehem. Uh, Verse number 6 of Luke chapter 2, So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Verse 8, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were 
sore afraid. I think I would be too. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. I think the second response that you see here in Luke chapter 2 is a response of wonder. You see that word uh, a little bit later on in verse number 18, all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But the shepherds were pretty much minding their own business. They're on night shift, probably had a fire, they're sitting around talking and all of a sudden a spotlight shines down on them. Now if that happened today, we might think, "Uh uh-oh, is this a... You know, a a law enforcement helicopter and, you know, what's going on? They didn't know what those things were. All of a sudden, a light shines from heaven and then angels are talking to them. How do you think you'd respond? Am I I dreaming? You know, is this real? And no, it was real. And they not only got an announcement... They got um, you know, the entire, a group of angels. They had one messenger and then another group of angels praising God. Yeah, I think I'd be uh, in a little bit of shock, wouldn't you? Some of you were that way on syllabus day at the start of the semester. Okay, you got over it. And now final exams has kind of brought that shocked look back to your faces. It's okay. Uh, you're, you're here, you're breathing, so you've survived. Look at the upperclassmen. Well, they, they've been through semesters of this, and they're fine. <laughs> but don't you think that was a bit of a shocked response on the part of the shepherds? And then when the angels disappeared, then they're going, what did we just hear? What did we just see? How did they respond then in verse 15? When the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. But you think there was some excitement, some nervousness, some anticipation? I do. I think that's all wrapped up in this word wonder. The word wonder here in verse number 18 is very often used in the New Testament and very often translated as to marvel. In Matthew chapter 8 and Luke chapter 8, Jesus was sleeping in the boat and the disciples woke Him up and He said, Peace be still. And it said they marveled. That's the same word, to be amazed at. To to kind of be in awe of, or to be shocked at. In um, Mark chapter 5, when Jesus cast the demons out of the maniac of Gadara, and then he was clothed in his right mind and listening to Jesus, and Jesus told him to stay there and tell people what Jesus had done. In Mark uh, chapter 5, it says... Um, he began to publish in the capitalists how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. He said, well, I've heard the Christmas story. I've seen the nativity scene. I hope that we don't, in, in all of the cultural activities of Christmas, I hope we don't lose the wonder, the amazement in awe. In, in one of the songs we sang in chapel today, it uh, had this phrase, pleased with man with men as man to dwell, Jesus, our Emmanuel. To contemplate what is really happening here, 
that this was God taking on human flesh in fulfillment of literally hundreds of prophecies over centuries of time. We should ask God to help us to maintain a sensitivity to that. The shepherds had a sense of wonder at what they had seen. Verse 16, they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things. There was a sense of amazement and wonder. Now, granted, if there are certain students here that if, if they came and said, let me tell you what happened last night. There was this bright light and there were angels and God gave a message. You'd be like, okay, whatever. Go back to sleep, Paul. I mean, um, <laughs> you know, if certain students, if certain people said, hey, this is what happened, you're like, okay, bring your imagination you know, back into uh, touch with reality here. But these were not people who were given to exaggeration. These are not people that were prone to hyperbole. These were very... You know, ordinary, respected citizens, I think. So when they began to tell their friends and their family, people were just kind of in, in awe, in shock. What in the world is going on? But there's an, important, um, there's an important phrase here in verse number 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is, what's the next word? Christ. Christ is the New Testament word for Messiah. The word Christ or Christos means the anointed one. The Old Testament word Messiah means the anointed one. This was the Messiah who'd been prophesied. So not only did angels appear, the angel's message was the Messiah has come. That was the hope of Jewish people for centuries, that the Messiah would come. Now, they had, in general, a misunderstanding that the Messiah would be a political deliverer to to take them out from under the yoke of Rome or to bring them prosperity and and freedom and all of that kind of thing. But still, that had to excite them. The Messiah. We've waited centuries for the Messiah, and the Messiah's come. Now, it didn't look like they expected. Ultimately, it didn't develop like they expected. But you have nonetheless this announcement. If at some point in time during this Christmas season, the truth that the God of heaven took on human flesh... He was simultaneously 100% God and 100% man. And he lived a sinless life voluntarily so that he could voluntarily be a sacrifice for your sins and mine. If that doesn't grip you with a sense of wonder and gratitude, you're too busy. You're too uh, used to things, so to speak. You need to ask God to give you a sensitivity to that again. The, we, we enjoy many special songs that we sing at Christmas time and that kind of thing. But if you really pay attention, many of them talk about this very truth, God in human flesh. The Messiah, the Deliverer, and ultimately, uh, He was born not just to be a good person. He was born to offer Himself as a sacrifice. As the song says, born to die. Right? That should give us a sense of amazement, a sense of wonder, a sense of appreciation. Number three, I want you to see with me. There was a third response here in Luke chapter 2. Again, verse number 17. When they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them 
concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. You see a response number three here of witnessing. Witnessing. They, the shepherds didn't keep it to themselves. They shared the good news. Okay? This was the, the phrase here, I bring you good tidings of great joy. It's what the word gospel means, right? Good news. To evangelize means to share the good news. What is the best news you could possibly share? That the Messiah has come and that He has made a way of salvation and forgiveness and fellowship with God. But the shepherds spread the message abroad. If you drop down to verse number 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And if you read that section there down through about verse number 36, you'll see Simeon also gave testimony, gave witness to the purpose of this child. A third response to the first Christmas was that of witnessing. You realize that, and Brother Beal has already mentioned it, but you realize that this time of year, people are culturally in America anyway more receptive than almost any other time of the year, maybe Easter, maybe not. There are people that will accept things, uh, accept literature and materials, particularly if you have you know, gospel tracts or things that have you know, Christmas colors or holly, you know, different uh, look to it. There are many times that people will accept that during this time of year, or they'll at least be gracious about it instead of telling you no. But you know, Christmas time is a great opportunity. Have you ever asked anybody, you ever wonder how the giving of gifts got started for Christmas time? I mean, that's not a, if you die today, you're 100% sure how you're going to go to heaven type of an opener. But if you ask someone, have you ever wondered why we give gifts at Christmas time? Well, it's the way we've always done it. My kids expect it. You, know, you, you might get a, a, a wide variety of interesting answers. Is there a Bible pattern for that? Yeah. I think the first Bible pattern for that is John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that He... Gave his only begotten son. I mean, Jesus was God's Christmas gift to us, to the world. But also you see here in, uh, in Luke 2 and in Matthew chapter 2 that the wise men came and they brought gifts. But the giving of gifts is a tradition that goes back to the New Testament. Just that simple question, why do we give gifts at Christmas time? Is a great opener to start a conversation with somebody to say, can I tell you what I think the Bible background of this is? When Jesus was born, there were folks that brought him gifts. But Jesus himself was God's greatest gift. Now, I'm sure you can think of other ways. I mean, I have seen the creativity of, of you students in many ways. Um, explanations for why things didn't get done. You know, reasons for why you didn't make it to class on time. Um, I'm sure with Student Body Chapel tomorrow, we'll see energies that could have gone into studying, you know, um, <laughs> devoted to creativity in other ways. But what am I getting at? It's not a matter of a lack of ability. It's practice and effort and focus. You know, trying to figure out how can I use this to start a conversation? How can I use this as an opportunity our church uh, does an outreach at our uh, town's Christmas parade, and you know, some of you may have something similar. But during that time, we usually can give out a few thousand gospel tracts in one afternoon. 
mean, it's hard to do that in, in a month or several months of other avenues, right? But there are opportunities during the Christmas season. You know what sometimes the greatest enemy of witnessing at Christmas time is? Busyness. But we're going to have to just do that on purpose, right? To take the opportunity that's presented to us. It may be with family members. It may be with coworkers. It may be in the busyness of trying to find gifts or uh, food or just you know, running errands, taking care of things. But you see here, when the original recipients of the message heard that the Messiah had come, they shared that message. Do you remember in... Um, I better not ask that. I'll be disappointed with the answer. Do you remember in the Old Testament? Okay, already the rest of you are going to say no. But uh, in 2 Kings, there was a city that was, Samaria was under siege. And the lepers finally decided, if we sit here, we're going to die. We may as well go throw ourselves on the mercies of the enemy. Maybe they'll have pity on us and feed us something. When they got there, they found out that God had made the enemy to hear something and they all run away. They immediately began to eat as much as they could and take gold and silver and put it back for themselves. And then they kind of stopped and there was a realization that hit them. And you read this phrase. We do not well this day. Today is a day of good tidings. And we hold our, if we hold our peace, the city will be destroyed. You know, I think there was a literal application to that story. That was, if they did not share the good news with the city, there were people that were going to die of starvation and it was already happening. In a far greater sense, if we have the good news of the true meaning of Christmas and fail to share that when we have an opportunity, we failed in a greater way than if the lepers had failed. They actually went back to the city and said, hey, here's what we found. And the king's like, no, it's a trick. Eventually, they sent somebody to check it out, and there was provision for all the people. None of them had to die for starvation. I think there's a great application for us. So we see responses to the first Christmas. Number one, you see worry. Number two, you see witnessing. Excuse me. Number two, you see wonder. Number three, you see witnessing. Number four, I want you to see worship. If you're still in Luke chapter 2, look with me in verse number 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. They're worshiping. Now turn back to um, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and we are come to tweet about it. You know, we are come to photograph it. We are come to, what did they say? I'm being facetious because that would be the modern day response, right? I want to be first to publish this. No, we are come to worship him. They came from the east. Where is that? East of Israel. Now, due east is mostly desert, but that is modern day Iraq and Iran, Saudi Arabia. More than likely, I think they, there's a good chance they were from the same general region as Job and uh, Abraham and others that were you know, originally from the east and you know, they kind of migrated that way. But what I'm saying is they came at a great distance, with great effort and great cost for the purpose of worship. They recognized the significance of the coming of Christ. Now, 
Let me ask you a question. What day of the week does Christmas fall on this year? On a Sunday. Are you going to treat that as an inconvenience that, oh, we have to go to church on Christmas? And, you know, that means we don't get to do this or we have to push this later. Of course you're going to say no because that's the right answer. The reality is if you're not careful, we can get upset that worshiping the Lord interrupts our family plans when it should be the other way around. They went a great time and effort and expense to come and worship the Messiah. They brought gifts. You really understand that's also part of worship. Not only our adoration and praise, our giving, our service, all of those things are part of worship. When they found Him, uh, drop down to um, verse number 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child. This was several months later. This was not you know, in the manger in the stable. It was a house and it was a young child. They saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. The, ne- the very next thing that happens, as far as Joseph is concerned, verse 13, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt. Now they've already um, you know, been displaced because of this census and taxing and everything. And now they're to go to Egypt. You think he was financially prepared for that? Doubt it. Did God provide for him? Yeah. What was the first gift listed from the wise men? Gold. God provided what they needed when they needed it. And he took him down to Egypt and they stayed there a while. And eventually God said, okay, it's time to come back. But... The, the wise men came to worship. They presented their adoration. They presented their gifts. You see, worship was a proper response. You see worship on the part of the shepherds. You see worship on the part of the wise men. If we were to look back in Luke chapter 2, you see on the part of Anna in verses 37 and 38 who came in, we see her worship and praise and adoration, thanking God that He allowed her to live long enough to see the Messiah, His salvation Privately, as well as corporately, will worship be a part of your Christmas? I mean, you are you personally set aside time just to thank the Lord for His coming, for everything that Christmas means, that God came in flesh and that brought salvation. And not only does that bring salvation, that brings fellowship with God, that brings God's provision, that brings all the other opportunities. Worship should be a right response to Christmas. I want you to see with me next, uh, in, here in Luke chapter 2, if you're there. Let's, um, let's go back to Luke chapter 2. I'm looking at Matthew chapter 2, which is why the verse isn't what I'm looking for. Luke chapter 2, very familiar. She brought forth, her, verse 7, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, what's the last phrase? Because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, they, don't blame the innkeeper, he was doing his job. But it was full. What was he doing? Sorry, I don't have any room. I can let you stay in the stable, but I don't have any room inside. What was he doing? He was doing his job. Go back to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. When the wise men showed up, they went to Herod, and, or they, they ended up with Herod. Where is he that is born king of the Jews? Verse 3, when Herod the king heard these things, he was troubled. 
Verse 4, when he had gathered the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, Thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah. For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. I want you to see here what was response number four working. There were people that were just doing their job completely oblivious to the big picture. If we're not careful, this is where Bible college students can be found. Not intentionally ignorant or, or irreverent or anything like that, just oblivious. You know, I, it, guilty as charged. It's easy to do. And this is a busy time of year with school and other responsibilities and errands and get-togethers and all those kinds of things. But you see with the innkeeper, you see with the scribes. Now, did the wise men just show up to Herod? No, it sounds like they showed up in the city and started asking. If word got back to Herod, don't you think that word had gotten back to the scribes too? They didn't seem all that interested, did they? But... When Herod gathered them together and said, where's the Messiah going to be born? Bethlehem and Judea. Judea and uh, he, they quoted from Micah, the prophet. So in other words, they knew the right answer. It just didn't affect them in their heart very much. If we're not careful, we can get there with faithfully attending church and serving in a bunch of ministries. You can get there in a Bible college semester. You can get there with just the burdens of life. But the scribes knew the right answer and yet had no spiritual response, if I could say it that way. They're just working, just kind of oblivious to everything else that was going on. May God help us to look at that and you know, intentionally avoid that response. There's one more response that I want us to see here in Matthew chapter 2. Um, in verse number 7, Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search for this child, and then tell me about it. We know that Herod had other motives. Now, uh, verse number 12 says that God warned the wise men in a dream not to tell Herod, so they didn't. Drop down to verse number 16 now, Matthew chapter 2. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Here's the final response that we see. We see a response of wrath. That is to be expected in certain quarters. If you post something simple like Jesus is the reason for the season or keep Christ in Christmas there no doubt will be people that will be offended by something like that. Sometimes it's just because of an antagonism towards the things of God. Sometimes it's because of a conviction. They're fighting against the working of the Spirit of God. But in other words, not everybody was happy about it. You may take the opportunity to try to witness to somebody at Christmas and they get mad. That doesn't make them right. That doesn't mean you should quit. But there's a, a variety of responses here. Herod was angry And based on the timeline that he had inquired of the wise men, he said two years old and under should be killed. Which also gives us the perspective of the proximate age and those kinds of things. But some people rejoiced with worship. Some people responded with wonder and some responded with wrath. 
you start trying to witness about Jesus during Christmas season, you're likely to get those same three responses. That did not change the fact that they should have witnessed. That did not change the reality of the situation. And just because someone gets angry about it does not change the reality that Christmas is a time when we recognize the birth of our Savior. Now, was Jesus born on December the 25th? Probably not. Could it have been a different season of the year? It's quite possible. To be quite honest with you, I don't care. How do you know that your birthday is what it is? Your mom told you and you took her word for it, right? What if she told you it was June and it was really March? And you've been celebrating the wrong date all these years. You should refund all the, Christ- the birthday gifts that you've got, right? <laughs> what am I saying? Even if it's wrong, it's a time that you set aside to acknowledge a year of life that God has given and to uh, be thankful and to acknowledge the fact that we're thankful that this person's still here after another year, right? At least that's what it's supposed to be. Most of you are like, really? I just thought it was cake and presents, okay? But the point is this. Don't get into an argument with somebody over was it December or was it spring? That's not the point. I mean, why did May get selected to be Memorial Day? Why did November get selected to be Veterans Day? Does it really matter? It's a time that was set aside to remember significant events. In the same way, Christmas is a time that has been set aside to remember the birth of our Savior. So instead of getting sidetracked with those kinds of of arguments or details let's ask the Lord to help us to have the right kind of response there could be some worry I mean in fact there often is in the busyness of the season but may God help us not to lose the wonder of the Christmas season there could be opportunities to witness and that would be a right response there ought to be on our part the response of worship Let's pray that we don't get sucked into a response of working to the point of being oblivious to what's going on and to persevere if someone gets angry. Now, let me ask you this. I asked you this question at the beginning. What does Christmas mean to you? Now, I know you know the right answer, but my challenge to you this morning is to ask God to give you the right heart. It's very easy to be more like Martha than Mary during the Christmas season to be so burdened down with things that we kind of lose sight of the big picture. May God help us to have a response of worship and witness and wonder when we pause to look at the birth of our Savior, the greatest gift that the world has ever been given. Let's bow for prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, may we have a right heart this Christmas season. And may we have the boldness that we need to speak up when you give us those opportunities. Bless now this time of invitation in Jesus' name. Amen.